The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of The Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. From trounce to bounce, markets have a change of direction, yield spike, and we call that a skew event. The Fed is not your friend and don't fight it. Our guest today, Dr. Richard Smith. All this and much more on episode number 759 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Welcome to Crazy Town. <laughs> Remember, markets don't always make sense, and money is not always logical. Hey, I'm Andrew Horowitz, and you're listening to my little piece of weekend happiness, where I get to spend time with you. I get to spend time with some great guests. So thanks for being here. Yes, yeah, the Discipline Investor Podcast, and I am the host. I am also the founder of Horowitz Company. I'm also the co-host of DH Unplugged, where... John C. Dvorak and I get together each and every week and we talk about all so interesting things. So make sure to check that out as well. Make sure to bookmark that, download it, subscribe to it, whatever you do on your podcast apps, both the Discipline Investor Podcast as well as DH, DH, like Dvorak and Horowitz, Unplugged. Check that out. So markets, no, no, they're not logical. Let's get that straight. The fact is... That if you're thinking that everything needs to make sense all the time about what markets are doing, you've come to the wrong place. You need to go and get a reset. Understand that sometimes, not always, they make sense. No, they're also logical a lot of the times. But there are those times that logic is just thrown out the window. Or maybe we shouldn't think of it that way. Maybe we should think about that we shouldn't expect the logic, or maybe the logic never existed, and the logic we're trying to apply towards the markets is not market logic. Does that make any sense? Is that logical? The truth of the matter is sometimes we think that there should be a move this way or that way, up or down, because of fill in the blank. Maybe the news, what's happening around the world, fundamentals, yields, um, a comment, and, and that really warps our totality of understanding when we think about what is my portfolio supposed to be doing. For example, if you think about some of the things that happened over the last week, does that make any sense? Markets rallied and ramped, went crazy. Why? Oh, logic. Well, they were oversold. Logic, well, maybe the war will be over sooner than expected. Logic, well, maybe the Fed only raised 25 basis points and they're going to go a lot slower. Logic, well, maybe because of things that are happening and the reality that we're seeing while an inflation environment that's very difficult, maybe it's not going to be that difficult. And maybe the Fed will back off and liquefy. Logic, 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 all these rings. And more so than logic, what are these? 
What are these? These are rationalizations. And that's something that we do as human beings trying to understand what's happening. Why is it that when you find at the end of the day, you look at the headlines, it says markets are down because of blank. Really? Is that the reason? Markets are down because selling pressure ensued. What is the reason behind it? Does it really matter? When I say the end of the day, I mean literally the end of the day. It's what is going on with price. We talked about that last week with Michael Koval when we talked about trend following. We talked about that with our friends when we talked about technical analysis. It's only price that pays with Brian Shannon as a great example and his great books and his writings and his videos. But Friday, for example, was it logical that markets were starting to move higher? I mean, we saw the 10-year yield moving steadily higher throughout the morning, 2.2, 2.3, 2.4. These are considered a skew move that probably broke some hedge funds that were looking at the wrong side of the yield on some of these uh, of these yields. And equities moved up along with it. Now, how weird is that? We're not supposed to, quote unquote, right? We're not supposed to see equities moving higher, especially the NASDAQ, the higher growth names with yields moving higher, unless something else is going on. Unless maybe it was that bonds were being sold and simply the rotation temporarily with the funds were moved into equities because they want to get ahead of something. I'm not sure what. Maybe they were just seemingly getting out of bonds and thinking, where else can I put my money? And the logical place, logical, was into higher yielding equities that maybe wouldn't have the pain that we were seeing what was happening in the bond markets. So it happened throughout the morning up until just on the edge of 2.5% getting towards that level. I think it was 2.488 or something like that. And then news broke. Oh, there's an announcement. You know, there's the ceasefire talks and the peace talks in the Ukraine are more difficult than people thought. Really? Oh, okay. And then all of a sudden markets turned around very quickly on that logical piece of news that would seemingly get markets moving lower. Point, though, is about the entire exercise, what we talk about right now, you can't get caught up in this. The secret that you really need to pay attention to with regard to what's going on with markets on a regular basis is very, very simple. And is this, it's this. It's not groundbreaking, by the way. It's not something like, oh, but it doesn't matter. The items that they talk about on a regular basis that the news media brings to is just having that out there. What matters right now is the bigger picture, the, the, the overriding issue that's going on and how to set up your portfolio in line with all of that is this. We have a Fed that is not your friend that is going to be raising rates. Don't fight the Fed and pay attention to that. We have a war that's going on that we may see entry into by the U.S., we have situations that are going on right now that are very difficult to discern in terms of how valuations, earnings, and the net margins are going to be affected by the higher prices in commodities, in oils, in wheats, in corns, in, in, in every 
single aspect of the supply chain issues. These are the overriding things right now that really should be shaping your idea of how you invest. Do you invest hardcore towards the momos or do you invest a little bit more towards the values? Do you have longer bonds or shorter bonds? Do you hedge out your risk in terms of the dollar versus other currencies around the world? And the list goes on. That's what you should be looking at right now. The other items that you look at and when you think about it really are meaningless. Meaningless. So there you have it. <laughs> well, I think that we're going to get a lot more information and probably hopefully some more logic out of our next guest. So what I thought we would do is spend a good amount of time with him today and try to get every bit of information out of him that we can to understand some of the dynamics of uh, creating portfolios. So let's get right to that. And our guest today is Dr. Richard Smith. No, not the Richard Smith, not the Dr. Smith that you may know from Lost in Space, but Dr. Richard Smith of Risk Myth, one of the founders to uh, look at how to, well, to level the playing field for individual investors. And from his bio, what happened uh, is that he was looking for a way to help people with risk management. And according to Dr. Smith, most people have no idea how powerful of a tool good risk management really is. They look at risk as something to stay away from. In fact, exactly the opposite is the truth. Once you understand risk, you can control it. By taking smart risks, you can truly transform your financial future. Uh, Dr. Smith uh, studied mathematics at UC Berkeley and earned his PhD in system sciences, uh, system science from the Watson School of Engineering in SUNY Binghamton, New York, my hometown, uh, under the late Professor George Kerr. Uh, is it Kerr or Clear? Clear, right? How do you pronounce that? Clear. Dr. Smith, how are you? I'm doing great, Andrew. It's great to be with you. How are you? I'm good. It's been a while since you've been uh, since you've been on. And uh, I wanted to talk about some of the things that you've been working on, some of the things you've been writing, because you have some fascinating items that you recently wrote. And in no particular order, I wanted to, to get into those. But let's kind of first start out with what's new. I know you moved from Florida back in 2020 at the end of March and living in, in West Virginia uh, or Virginia. And what, what, tell, me, tell me what else is going on that's kind of exciting in your life. All kinds of stuff. I'm having the most fun I've ever had uh, in business and building financial technology, working with a great group of people that I love working with. And I'm excited about the interest in finance from young people. And I, I'm sure we'll get into that today, but I think it's authentic. And I think that those of us who, you know, really love helping independent investors have a bright future because I think there's a tremendous interest in investing. I think it's going to outlast the pandemic. And I think that more and more our uh, digital economy is essentially a financial economy. I think young people are onto that fact and they're, uh, they're really interested in how to succeed in what is increasingly becoming, you know, a market a digital market economy. <laughs> well, what's interesting so. is, I mean, obviously we could talk about the generational change, but one of the things we do know, and maybe what they're onto is that a digital financially focused centralized economy, 
I'm not talking about decentralized, but I'm talking about the concept of it's central to the core of what we do, right? Yeah. It's a lot mm-hmm. easier on the back than a manufacturing <laughs> or an agrarian society, right? Yeah. I think that's true. Uh, <laughs> comes with a double, it's a double-edged sword. Right. But, uh, but it's happening and, uh, and I don't think it's going away. So what do you think was the spark that changed things from a rather laissez-faire attitude about, well, I'm putting my investments over there and they're doing something that one day maybe or maybe not, they'll do well, but I'm hoping and praying and to a much more focused structure of, of being involved with their investments for the, when I say younger, it's just, let's say the, the, the current generations. Bitcoin. Oh, really? That did it all. Yeah. That, that in itself somehow did it. Why? Was it the, the notion of all the potential for easy riches or the potential for all the other things that come along with the, the idea of a, uh, a independent, non-controlled, decentralized, blah, 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 all that. Now, what Bitcoin did was it introduced the idea of um, digital sovereignty so that you could control digital assets, a purely digital assets, purely digital assets, right, with private keys. So they could be they can be exchanged in public, right? You can have a public um, component to your control, but you own the private keys. So this opened up a whole new world of, um, and that's particularly appealing to young people because it connects to gaming, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, gaming, we live in the gaming economy, Andrew. I'm convinced. You know, the world is becoming. The, the digital economy is becoming a gamified economy. Young people know it. Um, gamification is essentially a financial technology. And I just ask Robin Hood. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, right. so I think this idea of being able to um, have what I call digital sovereignty, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and to be able to control assets in the digital world is what Bitcoin introduced. And it's taken a decade you know, for it to um, really uh, start to get traction, if you will. And it didn't hurt that it's up you know, crazy amount. Yeah, quadrillion percent. Years, quadrillion percent, yeah, quadrillion. Quadrillion percent right? <laughs> um, but I think that's what's going on. And you know, then it, you've got literally... I don't know, thousands of different cryptocurrencies in pairs mm-hmm. now. Um, and I think young people are all in on this idea of more independence and ownership. Um, you know, I'm not sure about you, but, you know, I like owning physical land myself. Right. <laughs> but uh, as a young friend of mine said, digital land is probably going to appreciate more than physical land. Eh. Okay, you know, I think well, the problem with digital land, time, get, but uh, we can get into that know. discussion. But there, there, there's a gigantic differential between digital land and, and physical land, and that happens yeah. to be the the potential for the amount that is available. And, yeah. uh, and you know, and, right. and, and, and by the way, when physical land was start, first started to be available for occupation, for living upon, for farming, for roads, there yeah. was a lot of it, and the prices were a lot lower. Yeah. So 
what what a lot of the people that are thinking about utilizing digital land for is an instantaneous gratification for pricing that should be today at the levels that it took hundreds of years for yeah. physical land to get to. Because this that's the other thing, and that maybe flows into the discussion about what's happening with yeah. the current generation, the instant gratification mantra. Yeah. That they want it now, they don't want to wait, there's no reason. Let's pull forward all the returns over the next 25 years into the next three months. <laughs> there's something yeah. to that, right? Yep, and digital land, you know, is essentially infinite. Right, that's what I mean. So it's just bits. You know, it's on. just bits. You can make more of it anytime. You know, you can print it. Right. Right. So you wrote so, an article called the super crypto heist. Can you want to talk about that a little bit? Well, that was in reference to the Super Bowl commercials, yeah, you know, yeah. the Super Bowl crypto uh, onslaught, which I found very disconcerting <laughs> myself yeah. because I think that cryptocurrency Bitcoin, you know, I own Bitcoin. I believe in Bitcoin mm -hmm. and I'm a fan. I think it truly is a authentic, new, empowering technology that does give more control to individuals. And uh, I'm in favor of more decentralization at this point than centralization. But what's happening is you're getting this mix of centralization and decentralization in the crypto world now, right? So Coinbase is a massive centralized um, company institution that is um, basically acting like a crypto bank and a crypto exchange, right? Yeah, that's what they and do. they yeah. have tremendous powers of centralization that are antithetical, you know, to the decentralization ethos of Bitcoin, for example. And we see that recently with them actually sanctioning uh, some wallets that they're holding that, you know, might belong to, uh, Russian bad guys. Right. The, <laughs> so, the oligarchs. The oligarchs. The strongmen, well, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think it was more than just the oligarchs. Right. It was a lot of wallets. Yeah. But that's a centralized power, right? That is, um, uh, I think, antithetical to um, the authentic value that Bitcoin uh, created. Mm -hmm. And what really bothered me about it, Andrew, is the um, the pandering of their marketing. You know, it was like, come sign up and get free Bitcoin, right? Or, you know, uh, hey, Tom Brady and Giselle asking us, are you in? Yeah. Right? Or Matt Damon saying, are you brave? Right? And, uh, or Larry David saying, you know, a lot of things, <laughs> FOMO, right? Don't miss out. Don't be right. as dumb as me. Yeah, don't be dumb Toro as saying, go to the moon. Right. So it was like the lowest common denominator marketing to do exactly what, you know, has turned me off about retail finance for a long time now of creating completely unrealistic expectations in market participants. Doc Smith, I have a question for you. If in fact you were a purist and you thought that you wanted to have a decentralized and unregulated, I wouldn't say necessarily unregulated, but decentralized uh, currency of sorts, you know, mm -hmm. the fact is it wouldn't have a price fluctuation like we see. Yeah. But that wouldn't have attracted anybody, would it? 
The fact is, this comes back to the same thing as everything always does. And it's all about greed. That's what it's all about. Then what happens with greed and with making money on it and charging insane commissions on the transactions, by the way, Coinbase mm-hmm. enters the market or a Binance or name your, you know, Bitfinex or Bitnex or whoever yeah. is going to be out there, right? Yeah. They come in and they are going to ride on this. Now, you can't be upset about that because if, in fact, Bitcoin was a pure play on all the idealistic things that you talk about, we would have it as, I'm going to just keep it easy here, no fluctuation against currency. Currencies could fluctuate, I'll give you that. But we wouldn't have seen that kind of a run-up where people would just become uh, rich. That attracts the worst players all the time. In finance, what has happened, and we've seen the bastardization of Every nook and cranny of the markets, from yeah. short squeezing to options trading to futures that go off the handle uh, on on food. I've always been against the fact that, and I know there's some problems with this, this statement I make, <laughs> I do not want to have futures tied to the food products that I eat. Whereas there could be speculators speculating and pushing up prices or down for that matter, on things that I need to actually survive as a human being. Yeah, great point. But the point I'm making here is how do we get from the loop where we had the idealistic and the uh, utopianistic style of concept that was originated in the, theoretically, in in, the days of the Bible and Adam and Eve and Satoshi, uh, where, 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 where Bitcoin was supposed to be all the ideals that you mentioned and you talk about, but yet it has turned into a greed-driven, life-changing place that now the institutions are feeding upon. Yeah. So I'm a big fan of Ben Hunt over. Oh, at I love Salon Ben. He's been on the show many times. Yep. So uh, you know he has he distinguishes between Bitcoin. And Bitcoin, oh. <laughs> right? With three exclamation points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, Bitcoin is up in neon lights and, you know, it's on Times Square. And man, the, uh, you know, the parasites are feasting. Yeah. And um, look, the only way around this is with education and individuals taking responsibility for their own choices and saying enough, I'm not going to pay attention to that, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to get involved with GameStop. I'm not going to get involved with AMC. I'm not going to get involved with something that volatile like Dogecoin, let's say, you know, or if you are going to, that you're doing it in very um, limited amounts, right? I'm a big fan, and we can talk about this, of volatility-based position sizing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the more volatile something is, the less money you should put into it. Yeah. You know, I think that, I think about it as in terms of a culinary metaphor, Andrew, you know, as investors, as financial, um, you know, people, and I do think we're all financial <laughs> these days, mm-hmm. um, you have your meat and potatoes and you have your spice, Right. Mm-hmm. So, and you don't want a whole meal just of salt and pepper and spice. You need your, you know, you need your core components of your meal. And those are your lower volatile, lower volatility assets. And then, 
um, some spice like Bitcoin or other volatile assets. And let me, let me continue on that because I am a, uh, I'm a culinary guy. So, you know, the fact is if you do put right. spice on, by the way, you, know, yeah. you could put, you could put a, 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 a teaspoon of a low-grade pepper chopped up, yeah. but you only put a hair of a ghost pepper in yes. something. Exactly. And it exactly. gives you- That's a great metaphor And it gives you five times more punch than the others. That's exactly right. It's such a simple concept. So I think, Andrew, you know, the way out of this um, uh, cycle of foolishness that we're in right now um, is through people like you and me educating the public. Right. And I think that there's an appetite for education. And I think that there's an appetite for technology that will actually um, empower and serve the people that use it instead of like manipulating the people that use the technology and, and using the technology to, you know, uh, extract resources from them which is what is happening with a lot of technology and of course, media today, right? right. I think that a lot of our technology uh, economy is what I call a resource extraction mm -hmm. economy, mm -hmm. right? They're extracting money, they're extracting attention, right? And, uh, and they're using behavioral psychology and behavioral finance to do that, right? right. To essentially get us addicted and uh, and to have us disoriented so that we can then be moved wherever it is we need to be moved. Right. Well, and yeah. The we, only way that doesn't happen is if we decide, no, you know, I'm we not going to be moved. Just to because be clear, they're not going to change right. until we change. Just, just to be clear, we are the sheep. We are the sheep, but we don't have to be the sheep. We, we don't have, have to be the sheep, but it takes bravery. It takes understanding. It takes education. It yes. takes, it takes um, you know, an absolute level of commitment because it's very difficult to be the one that's going to the left when everybody's going to the right. Now, that it doesn't is. mean, and by the Absolutely way, it doesn't, mean, it doesn't mean that going to the left necessarily is right. It could be that you are wrong and you need to self-adjust. Yep. So- just because you go in a different direction does not mean that, hey, you know what? Look at all these schmucks going into the water and they go, but yeah. maybe they were going just to bathe and it's a lovely day out, you know, but you know, they're not going sometimes. to their deaths. But let's talk but about following NFTs. Following the herd overall yep. is a dangerous proposition right now. For, for, uh, can I modify that if I may? Yeah. yeah. Uh, following the herd all the way to the edge of the cliff and over, there is something to be said about maybe yes. wandering with the herd. Sure. Right? Yep. Yep. Talk about uh, NFTs and the madness of uh, what's going on there and whether it's bored apes, whether it's the fact they're getting all sorts of money, I think 740 million, wow. 450 million or something like that for a startup. And, you know, that's the whole mantra, right? We don't have to make money, but we'll do something to make it look like that one day we'll make money and we have passed the profitability. But the NFTs... Yeah. The idea that people are now making art specifically for digital and digitization uh, that mm -hmm. are basically getting more money than many of the pieces that have been honored as uh, masters over the last number of decades. How is this NFT market really looking for you? Well, I think NFTs are a lot like Bitcoin in that there is a genuinely authentic um, 
uh, innovation here. The idea that you can um, essentially tokenize anything, right? right yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and again, it goes back to that idea of digital sovereignty. And this is a very important idea, Andrew. Like, as human beings, we have a uh, decent level of sovereignty in our lives, right? We can move around where we want to. We can go in one store with our money and our wallets and our pockets. And if we don't find what we want there, we walk out and go to another store, right? Um, but in the digital world, we don't have that kind of sovereignty. We're, we're spread out over all these different, you know, um, feudal kingdoms of Amazon or Apple or Facebook, and we don't control our own identity in those um, walled gardens, right? So this idea that NFTs are another level of that we can ultimately um, have a different relationship with the digital world where we have control and custody over our digital assets and our digital identity right? That's a big idea. So I, I need more, you, I need, I need more than that because it doesn't work for me. Okay. Well that, so, I mean, but then what's happening is again, you know, this, um, uh, frenzy induction, right. That this, uh, I don't know, the United States is so good at it mm-hmm. <laughs> or the, uh, the venture capitalists in the United States, I don't know exactly what does it, the media too, but these artificial frenzies are created where you have people, you know, paying for things um, that uh, if they really understood what was going on, they wouldn't pay that much for them. Now, are you talking about the world uh, outside of digital or inside of digital? I'm talking about NFTs. NFTs. Right okay, good. No, okay. no, that so I understand. Open C. That I understand. The Open C stuff, right? and 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 the, you know, you pay twenty two. Something like eighty percent of right. the stuff on Open C is fraudulent. Well, put that aside for a second. Well, no, no, let's not put that aside for a second. That's another thing. That how do we know what we actually yeah. have? And the digital world is much better at screwing you than yes. the non digital world to an extent. Right. It's just it's much better at screwing you yeah. <laughs> because you don't see what's going on behind the scenes. The algorithms are black box. You don't have access to them and you just don't know what's happening. And this has been going on for a long time. Andrew, you know, one of the biggest issues with Google is click fraud. Yeah. Right. It's right. it and it's massive and it makes Google a ton of money. Yeah. And, uh, and OpenSea, the fraud there is making them a ton of money and they're getting venture capital thrown at them hand over fist because, you know. So let's reel this money all machine. the way back. Bring this all the way back to that one word, which is greed. It's once yep. again, and, and that in itself yeah. is where I find the downfall of our, I don't want to say the economy necessarily, but the downfall of our society. Now you say, Andrew, wait a minute, you're a wealth manager, you're an investment dude. Yeah, uh, yeah. There is a reason that we want to have financial security, uh, financial sanity. Yeah. Finan- uh, and I'm not necessarily knocking any of these, but trying to shine a light of awareness on some <laughs> of the reality of what's going on. Number one, you don't get rich overnight. And there may be that person out there that does, 
But generally speaking, you try to get rich overnight, you're probably going to go bankrupt overnight. That's the that's the logical course, right? Would you agree? Well, the fact of the matter is, and I'm sure you'll agree with this, that if you are fearful when others are greedy and you're greedy when others are fearful, you're going to make more money. Yes. <laughs> yes. So it's common sense. You know, if people want to win, if people really do want to accumulate and grow wealth, you have to be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. Right. Again, um, with the caveat uh, that you don't want to facts. take yourself over the edge. Right. Yeah. No, you look, you know, the crowd is right in the middle and wrong at the ends. Yep. So there is a time when, you know, you are moving with the crowd Yep. and that's okay. I have but a few more you things. You have to be watchful about those levels of fear and greed. Yeah. Um, you know, and like where we're at right now in the markets today, right? Yeah. There was a huge uh, bout of fear starting from December, you know, through, um, I don't know, March 15th, I mm -hmm. guess. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Seems like uh, I was just looking at Tesla <laughs> is up 30, 33%. Yeah, oh, 30, past, from his bottom. You know, yeah, no question about reach, that. That's with right? the fact that they have they have higher costs. That's with the fact that they've been complaining about the the, the uh, supply chain and all that. Yeah. Um, which Carl, but you it know, went Carl, from seven hundred and fifty dollars to over a thousand yeah. in like ten days. Yeah. Which, by the way, we're back to where we were again, right? Over exuberance of some of these names. You know, I think it's a mistake. I don't. I am not. I'm. I don't believe this rally. Yeah. yeah, let's let's talk about and we can get into that. We can That's talk about that. I want to talk about a couple of different things because there's, there's some things that we talk about that are parallel uh, in, in things. But one of the things that I want to talk about is another culinary slash weather related discussion. Spaghetti models. And spaghetti you wrote pots. about uh, utilizing spaghetti models uh, and factors in portfolio construction. And yeah. the thing about spaghetti models and, and the idea of what we see on TV down here in Florida when there's a hurricane or any other kind of storm mm -hmm. around the country, yeah. around the world, is a very um, uh, a very in, imprecise uh, view from various different models that somehow all coalesce to an average. That mm -hmm. maybe something's right, maybe something's wrong, what they end up doing sometimes is putting a giant piece of rigatoni right in the middle. That is the average, right? <laughs> yes. So, so let's yep. talk about that in, in how and what that's worth. Yeah. Well, what I'm really getting at there, Andrew, is that um, 70 years ago, <laughs> uh, Harry Markowitz published a paper called Portfolio Construction. Mm -hmm. And that paper... Uh, was an absolute revolution in finance. And what uh, Harry, what Markowitz demonstrated is that um, variance has a cost, okay? So the simple thing he said was expected return is good. Variance of return is bad, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. So... We want expected return, right? We want to know what our expected return is and we want to get our re expected return. But if the, you know, if the variance of those expected returns spreads out, like in some of those spaghetti plots for hurricanes, that has a cost to it, right? Right. I mean, a simple way to think about it is if, you know, 
if you have a hundred different ways that a, something could turn out versus 10 different ways for something to turn out, right? It's much harder to price those hundred different outcomes than it is to price 10 different outcomes. Sure, sure. And so that has a cost, right? And, and Harry Markowitz called it mean variance analysis. Well, this is the basis of risk management today, okay? Any institution or professional investor would not be caught dead without the basic tools that Markowitz introduced to the world 70 years ago today. Yep, and, and, and uh, yours truly included. But where is that in retail finance? Well, it's nowhere. It's nowhere. No. Which is absolutely mind-boggling. Yeah, the difference right? is the spaghetti model and mean variance optimization, and then this throwing spaghetti against the wall. There's a difference, <laughs> right? Good one. <laughs> absolutely. So. Um, you know, to me, the fact that this technology, this 70-year-old technology has not made its way into the public's um, toolkit is something that has to change. It does. Now, I studied a lot of this, just to give you a little background on this. So back in the day uh, when this was a bit of a rage back in the 80s and 90s, and when I say that is because we were able to utilize, instead of trying to write it into uh, method spreadsheets, which were handwritten and mm -hmm. calculated by hand, we were able to do, utilize computer processing to help with the optimization process to find right. out which has a correlation coefficient that is negative or positive or somewhere with and find out how to diversify properly so that you have assets that were not all moving in the same direction. Uh, the, the next player in this game was, <clears throat> or one of the big players in the game, was um, William Sharp. Yes. Uh, and Markowitz wrote the paper with, uh, th there was a few people in, in, in it was a pension-related paper. Uh, Markowitz, mm -hmm. Markowitz and, and Sharp. I actually had dinner, and I did a lot of studying. I had dinner with William Sharp. Ah. Uh, yes, it's a uh, claim to fame. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> and we talked about it, and I was debating, and I was in, there was three parties involved in the Markowitz studies after the fact. Um, and for some reason, I just cannot pick up the name of the other gent. Another mm -hmm. professor, uh, very smart, and I was having a yeah. conversation with them that I was debating uh, some of the concepts that they brought up because sometimes we were using what's called downside variance. It was a new play on the idea of what do we care if we have variance? It's all the upside. Right. Who cares? It became the Sortino, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and then there was all these different discussions of R squared and what was happening and utilizing sharp ratios and all this that became uh, modern portfolio theory, uh, yes. concepts, yeah. right? Yeah. Right. So, so and I did so, a lot of work in that area till one day I woke up, I'm like, you know, I'm fiddling with this crap on a computer constantly coming up with, we should have 1%, 0.2%, And like, mm -hmm. no, don't move it to 0.8% because that will really blow the entire portfolio up. And I said one day, I'm saying, what the hell am I doing? Right. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, well, this is stupid. Now that doesn't mean that the concept in general isn't is stupid, but the way that some players deal with it and get so bogged down, what's the difference really if I have 1% in an asset class or 1.8% if amongst the entirety of my sure. system, right? Is it really going to be that big of a difference? No. Look, you can overdo it, right? You can overdo anything. And, but going back to my crypto heist, 
article. Brinson right? Bebauer, sorry, Brinson <laughs> Bebauer. Okay, and um, and the the distorted, delusional expectations that the public enters into investing with, right? Mm-hmm. So all the marketing just tells you this is easy. You know, you're going to get rich. You don't want to miss out. You want to be in with Tom and Giselle. You know, (laughs) you want to go to the moon with eToro. You're going to get free Bitcoin. It's all reward. It's no risk. Yep. You're getting social rewards. You're getting financial rewards, (laughs) you know. (laughs) So um, that's uh, bound to be uh, disappointing because everybody knows, not everybody, but you and I know, and anybody who's been around markets for more than, you know, (laughs) a a few days. If only, Uh, if only Harry Markowitz could have had fireworks going off when you set your portfolio correctly, that would have been the yeah. The equivalent of what so happens. Uh, people need yeah. accurate, more realistic expectations about how markets behave. Yeah. Right. And to me, that's what this modern portfolio theory does for us. It gets us in the ballpark of, of correct expectations. Right. Which is important. And, which is huge yeah. because most of the underperformance of you know, independent investors comes from making bad mistakes Mm -hmm. when the market does something that was out of the realm of your expectations. And now you're like losing your mind. It's like, it's like driving a car. It's like driving a car. Most accidents happen because yeah, you just stay in your lane, man. Don't be starting to swerve around. Yeah. And when you swerve around, you get to an accident and then all of a sudden everything else gets screwed up. Because it's pilots a have cascade. a word for this, right? Mm-hmm. Spatial, like pirates talk, I mean, pirates, <laughs> pilots talk about spatial disorientation. Mm-hmm. When you're flying a plane, right. right? Like you lose the horizon. You don't know up from down anymore. And, you know, just when you're in a free fall and you should be, you know, it, your instinct is to want to pull up, but no, you got to push down. Right. You got to push the nose down to get more speed, to get lift off the wings. Yep. So those are the situations that we get ourselves into as individual investors. Right. Um, Misled by all of the hype and uh, media that is just a machine to extract money from us. Um, uh, We need to have better expectations and, and also to take advantage of diversification, you know, and minimal correlation. So that's the other big piece of this. And it works. So I talk about this a it lot. I, I don't know if I've ever talked to you about this, but I, I, my people know about this. My listeners, my peeps, my peeps. They, <laughs> your they, peeps, your tribe. Yeah, they know what I'm about to tell you. And I'm going to bring this to you and uh, something that we talk about. Because sometimes you start talking about correlations, you use the throw out the word mean variance and optimization. You talk know, about R squared and people are like, uh, people freak out. Like, you know, so here's my, pl- here's my play on that to make sure that everybody understands. It's very simple. We call it the Horowitz flower garden theory. What we think about when we have a flower garden is we'd like to have this beautiful bunch of blooming somethings in it all year round. The problem is if you plant impatience down here in Florida, that's uh, during the winter months up in New York, it's in the summer 
around the country at different times. When you plant impatience throughout the garden, they, 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 they grow, they pop up. They're orange, they're pink, they're white, they're purple. Beautiful. But you know what? When the weather changes and when it's too cold or, or too hot for that matter, whatever it is, but not the right temperature, they just die and you have a, a entire garden just of dirt and, 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 and uh, stems. That's it. Yeah. It looks like crap. Yeah. Right. What you want to do is you want to plant impatience. Sure. But roses, heliconias, evergreens, you want to have annuals, you want to have perennials. Something will be blooming at any given time of the climate cycle. Very similar to what you want your portfolio yeah. to do. Exactly. Right? Just Great lays it out metaphor. very easily. I love it. I love it. So, And, you know, what I'm building is uh, financial technology or wealth technology that allows people to, to get, you know, an intuitive easy to understand perspective of their portfolios right. and to build portfolios that have that complementary um, quality to them. So that's right? called, that's called risk. Let's talk about that because I want to make sure everybody knows about this risk Smith. It's a, it's a yep. powerful application that provides uh, what you've been talking about, which is. yeah. Uh, so look, there's three metrics and you'll know what they all are, right? I can yep. tell you what they are. So yep. there's a, um, a histogram of your uh, daily returns over the past year, uh -huh. okay? So you can see, you know, is it nice and shaped like a bell curve, right? Or is it got the uh, the fat tails at the end? Yeah, yeah. And is it really spread out, right? That's telling you it's a more volatile asset, right? right. That's a right. spice for yep. your portfolio, yeah, not the ghost, core, the right? The ghost pepper, yeah. The ghost pepper. <laughs> so, um, and uh, so that's one, okay? It has an adjusted Sortino, okay? Mm -hmm. So that's the downside volatility versus your upside gains. And I just call it risk efficiency, mm -hmm. okay? But it's telling you, you know, how much reward are you earning for the risk that you're taking? Right. And then the third number is, um, and again, I, it's a 95% value at risk uh, number, right? So it's telling you that, um, 95% of the time you should do the you should do better than this, you know, but 5% of the time <laughs> you should expect this or worse. Now that's okay? a pretty high uh, 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 statistical measure, 95. Right. I mean, that, so that, I call that's... it the D score. Yeah. Okay. And what, it, what I mean by that is D stands for damn. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, the D score is the number that once a month you open up your, you know, your, uh, your portfolio at the end of the day and you go, damn, that hurt. <laughs> so know? what, 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 what so, do you do? So, so let's kind of take that to the next level. You have a D score that opens up and you say, damn, um, you go, damn, what do you like, do? I, that hurt, but you know what? I was expecting it. Right. All right. Okay. So it doesn't hurt that much. All right. I can survive this. Right. 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 So what you do, and you can just take investments and you drag and drop them into your portfolio or add them and remove them and you can change your allocations and you can see these three things change your risk efficiency, your D-score and how your returns are distributed, whether you're normal or, or you know, not normal. <laughs> so right. yeah, yeah. these are incredibly um, effective lenses through which to view your investment life. You go to most retail financial sites and all they're throwing at you are flashing lights, you know, and uh, drawing your attention to 
things that aren't going to actually help you, you know, like mm-hmm. Robinhood is primarily drawing your attention to options trading at this point. Well, it's the most profitable they form. They make a huge, huge amount of money right. on options. Right. And uh, so we need to control our, our user experience, right? right? I call this reframing the user experience of finance. And I'm convinced, Andrew, that with, you know, mobile technology today, with the the design um, knowledge and understanding that we have today, we can deliver modern portfolio theory to the retail world um, at last. That's that's great stuff. And it's gotta be simple. It's gotta be easy to understand. It's gotta be intuitive and visual. And so that's what I've been working on. And getting it into a mobile, you know, platform, a mobile footprint, right? Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things you got to admire about Robinhood is that they did manage to get a broker dealer experience onto a mobile footprint, <laughs> you know? Yes. And you that know what no they say, the small, meat. the small, the font, the better it must be. Yeah, that was no small <laughs> accomplishment. So um, to make this 70-year-old technology that no professional or institution would be without, finally accessible to the public because you're presenting it in a way that they can understand and that they can relate to, okay? Mm-hmm. That's what I'm after. And then there's a second piece to this, Andrew, that I think you'll appreciate, but I'm interested in your, your thoughts on this. Okay. You know, like when you go to a financial advisor, typically, the first thing they do is take a, give you a, uh, you know, a risk tolerance mm-hmm. assessment, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And and try to quantify you about what's your risk tolerance and how long can you leave your money in the markets and what level of risk should we design for you, right? Right. So that's great. But I don't think risk tolerance is a static thing that you just, uh, um, you know, take a take a, uh, fill out a questionnaire once, you know, every 10 sure, years. No, of course not. And that describes, you know, that sums up your, who you are in your relationship with risk. So what I think the opportunity here is, is to use mobile technology to help people have a more dynamic um, understanding of their risk tolerance and how it changes, you know, from year to year, from month to month, from day to day. So think about yeah, and, you know, and, how intimate your mobile phone is right. with you, right? Right. <laughs> and um, look, sometimes, you know, we're going through turbulent periods in our life, right? And mm-hmm. maybe it's market related, or maybe we're going through family troubles or you know, personal financial troubles, who knows, right? Mm-hmm. But there are different things that influence our risk tolerance and our relationship with risk. So, well, that's, I, I mean, obviously, that as, 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 you know, to, I guess the best example would be something like, you know, here we are, uh, single, single, single guy or girl, and uh, going along our way with uh, nobody that we're responsible for, and we're investing our money one way that all of a sudden, right? Well, maybe not all of a sudden, but we get married. <laughs> And yep. and have a kid. Well, yeah. you probably Jesus. have a change of uh, idea of of what your future looks like, what you're saving yep. for, the immediacy, or the absolutely the not for money, and, and that that yeah. is a changing process. I agree. Yeah, totally. That is, that is a changing process for sure. So I think that 
through this technology, through this user experience, we can help people build a more mature relationship with risk and reward. I like it. I like it very much. I appreciate it. That's, that's some cool stuff. Let's just end on uh, two minutes or so on inflation, the Fed, geopolitics, portfolios, yeah. the world, all those yeah. things that are not so great. Yeah. Um, there's a tremendous amount of uncertainty all over the place. So, uh, you know, a land war in Europe, <laughs> haven't seen that for uh, quite a while. That's tremendous uncertainty. What's going on with interest rates and the Fed is unprecedented uncertainty. So, uh, you know, I was, I don't know if you're a fan of John Authors over at Bloomberg, mm -hmm. but he writes a regular column in their opinion section. And I really appreciate his writing. And he was just showing how, you know, on the one hand, we had this huge buy signal where um, when you look at the relationship between stocks and bonds, right? Mm -hmm. When stocks rise faster than bonds, um, like dramatically, mm -hmm. that's a, that's usually a huge buy signal. So that was the buy signal back in, you know, 2008 and 2011 and 2020. And we just had one of those like in the past week. Right. right. So there's this huge buy signal on stock that in the, in, on stocks. But meanwhile, it's not so much because stocks are going up. It's because bonds are going down. Yeah. It's right? upside down. It's upside down. It's upside down. Right. And then you have the breach of the 40 year downtrend in 10 year rates, right? Yeah. That should be scaring everybody to death. And it's a huge sell signal for stocks. So this is just the reality of the situation that we're in right now. You know, it's, it's a, um, it's a very, uh, it's got volatility is going to continue <laughs> to, uh, uh, rise and things are not going to settle down and get back to normal. We are in what I would call a market regime change and nobody really knows what's going to happen. Um, it's, and makes it an even more important time to make sure that you are paying attention to and managing risk. And, uh, so I think it's going to be hard for a lot of people because, you know, it's hard not to always, uh, just be fighting yesterday's wars. Well, and to also and, go back to the same well constantly over and over, Yeah, you know, because again, what, what may have been the buy signal, which I'm not debating whether it is or isn't may yeah. have been based on a calculation and that calculation could be on the other side, sort of the upside down. Right, yeah. you follow what I mean. Whereas yeah. that buy signal may have may may have come, but for a much different reason, and that necessarily is a sometimes a false signal. Yes, so I think it's I think we're in for um, a lot of uncertainty and volatility. But that also breeds opportunity. Let's also state that absolutely fact. does. So I think you have, you have, to, to, you have to you have to balance attentive. that. You have to balance that. Be paying attention. I've had an, a, a lot of people very recently that were on the fence about investing for a long time. Mm -hmm. 2020 came along, remained on the fence because even though they said, when it goes down, I'm going to do something about it, have said, you know what? I've realized the error of my ways that I need to do something. Let's get it set up so that we can grab that opportunity when it arises, whether it's now, six months from now, or even never, but let's have it at least for God's sake set up. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. Because when you're in the mix of it, I will tell you a quick fish story, if I may. You know, you think of all these things that you'll do and all that, right? Well, I'm fishing last week and we get on a, a, a honestly, Jonah the whale. Okay. This is something that I don't even okay. know what's going on, but it is literally, literally smoking my electric wheel. I'm seeing mm. smoke come out of my electric reel. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, we don't usually fish with the electric reel for this, but we did this time and it has plenty of drag. It can hold on to all sorts of stuff, right? Bottom line. We didn't really think through it very well. Things were moving very quickly. It was about a seven-minute, 10-minute period of trying to adjust, figure out what to do. We ended up losing it and melting the reel, frankly, and the gear box on the, mm-hmm. on the, on the reel. That's how hot it got. But um, fact is that sometimes when you're in the thick of it is my point. You're not thinking yeah. clearly, as you mentioned, yeah. with yeah. the pilots yeah. who are losing their – uh, ability to their horizon, their orientation. Yeah. So yeah. you set it up well beforehand. So you don't have to deal with it at yeah. that time. Makes a lot of sense. Good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. I think it's a good time to be dollar cost averaging into some longer term positions. If you've got some staying yep. power in the markets. Um, I personally think we're going to see lower lows before 2022 is over. And I don't think that people are really um, uh, taking the increased risks in the market to heart yet. I think there's some wishful thinking going on that this uh, was a big bottom, you know, back on March 15th. And look, there are a lot of uh, indications that are consistent with a major bottom. Um, I think there's more risk than people are uh, factoring in. I would tend to agree. I think the, 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 but you have to also weigh where are the opportunities? Where are, yeah the bottoms and things that haven't bottomed. And I think what they're trying to do is pull up the things that probably should still play out. And people are afraid of the ones that maybe are opportunistic. So we're going to leave it there. Dr. Richard Smith, go over to the episode notes of the discipline investor.com episode number 759. We'll have all the links, how to get all the information, the writings, the newsletters, the risk myth information, all of that will be there. So you can go grab it. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. Great to talk with you as always, Andrew. Thanks. Have a good one. Right. And that, my friends, is a wrap. Great discussion with Dr. Smith there. I thought we learned a lot more about the idea of trying to mathematically understand the downside risk correlations, the variance of investments, and how they all work together. There's a lot more to this, let's be honest. But in fact, a lot of it is... Um, is really all about, once again, the the idea of diversification, which we've been talking about and hammering home for months now. Hopefully you got in that point. Thanks so much for joining me. And I'm going to see you, of course, again next week. My guest coming up, Frank Curzio from Curzio Research. Stay tuned for that. Make sure to be there. I'll see you next week. Thanks so much. in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition, the information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice, or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. 
Past performance is not a guarantee of future results and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training.